welcome everyone to this very important virtual episode of Diversifying Data. I am your host, Raki Sharma, and this uh, podcast is very important to me. It's in a month that's very important to everyone involved in this podcast right now. It is Pride Month in the UK and the US. Um, so we've actually got a bit of a panel discussion today rather than just a one-on-one -on -one conversation, which I'm sure some of the listeners are more used to, you know, the format in the studio. But we had so many amazing guests wanting to come on the show that we wanted to actually create more of a panel, open discussion between uh, all of us really on here today. So to introduce our panel today, and I'm going to let them give their own full introductions, we have Max de Brownie, we have Leo Locker, we have Joe Woodman, and we have Dana James Edwards. So all of you, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being uh, on and for what I hope is going to be a really informative, exciting, um, and just knowledge and life-filled conversation. So thank you all for joining. Um, so as mentioned, uh, it is Pride Month and just a brief context on Pride Month. I was doing a lot of research on it and essentially I'm going to read out a very generic BBC uh, description about it uh, and then we're going to dive into what it means individually to you. And we're just going to see if they match up. So Pride Month, according to the BBC, is about acceptance equality, celebrating the work of LGBTQ people, the education of LGBTQ history, uh, and raising awareness of the issues still facing the community. So that's really what the, the type of generic um, overview that Pride Month stands for, and that's kind of similar across a lot of different uh, media publications. So what I want to do is, um, First of all, start by going around the room and getting everyone to introduce themselves and also maybe a little anecdote about what Pride Month personally means to each of you. So um, I am going to start actually with Leo. I'm going to pick out uh, a random one from the crowd. So Leo, please, please give me everything about yourself and also what Pride Month means to you specifically. Sounds good. Hello, everyone. My name is Leo Locker. I identify as non-binary and I'm bisexual. That's sort of my uh, stance in, I guess, the alphabet soup of, of it all. Um, I'm a learning consultant, coach and author, and I'm also working artist. So I'm one of those people with a portfolio career. That's, that's kind of what I do for a day job or day jobs, plural. Um, pride. I've got so many mixed feelings about pride. I think the biggest headline for me is really siblinghood. That's kind of where I feel like I get to connect with sort of the, the queer family, essentially. So my, my chosen family, it's not always easy, you know, like all families, it's not always, you know, roses and cupcakes, but yeah. uh, there is a bit of that as well. It I, I'm very conscious of the political and societal implications of pride. So I'm using the month and, you know, like on, on my planet, obviously <laughs> there's 12 pride months, right? Let's be honest, but it's just one is louder than the others. Yeah. So I'm also using that shamelessly as an excuse to rattle the cage whenever I have the possibility, whether that's, you know, within companies I work for or work with or in my personal surroundings on LinkedIn and so on. I think that's the month if you have a platform to really make the most out of it and to, to advocate for all the good things. So it's a mix of a celebration mm -hmm. of emotional connection and a bit of a riot because 
we still have to i think i love that that's so like that's such a rebellious but in the best way possible definition of it i think that's amazing i've never heard it described like that so i'm like yes so far we've got we've got something that's different and i love it um, yeah you can you can you know you can light a fire in someone's heart or yeah. you can light it you know a bit further down and i think we need to do both Brilliant. Well, we're going to get much more into that during the, the course of the conversation. So, uh, Max, can I ask you to go next and give uh, an overview of yourself, what you do, and also what Pride Month means to you specifically? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So, hello, everybody. I'm Max. Um, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm a consultant at Kubrick. Uh, I specialize in like, machine learning and I'm currently in a placement at a bank. So, I'm basically a finance bro at this point. And um, yeah, so. So I guess also in the alphabet soup, I am a gay man, so um, that that's me. And um, to me, Pride, I think, because I've had, like, a relatively easy, like, you know, life as a gay man, and I think I've had anything to die. To me, Pride is mostly a celebration. Um, and I think, touching on what Lior said about, you know, it's like a conflict, I also have that because it's a celebration on one hand, but also it's like a fight. Um, like, I mean, I'm Polish, so a lot of what I deal with, or experiences is to do with Poland and obviously in Poland it's not it's trying to be a celebration but there's still so much fighting that needs to be done to put people on equal footing that it's I think in that case pride is more like a like a fight to be like hey like think of us kind of thing rather than just like look how great it is um whereas like in England for me like when I think of pride for me it's more like yeah let's like have a good time and like boogie along um and yeah, definitely more of a celebration than, than anything else. So it's kind of like those two opposing views that in some places, yeah, you have to have a little fight, but that, yeah. that's it. I can't really like the fight. It's one or the other for me. It's, it's <laughs> no, both. No, I get that. Way. I get that. That's actually interesting to talk about the cultural dynamics of, of um, Pride as well. So thank you for that. That's, that's really, um, yeah, that's something to think about. We're going to dive into that as well. I'm trying to keep track of everyone's stories because they're so personal and really deep. So I, I want to um, definitely give it its space. Uh, but I want to move on to Joe Woodman now on the on the uh, paddle board. So <laughs> I'm trying to not lose track of that as well. Joe, do you want to give an overview of who you are for the for the viewers who don't know you, which I'm sure uh, are very few, considering you've been on I think two or three of these podcasts before. Um, I think what... I think the last one I was on was last year's Pride one. So ah. it's nice to be a returning guest oh, you uh, are. To, you are to come and speak again. Yeah. Right. So my name's Joe. I'm the commercial analytics manager at Keybrick. I've been with the company almost four years. Uh, and again, Alphabet Soup. I'm also a gay man. Uh, uh, help out with our internal diversity champions as a co-chair. And I'm in the middle of setting up our LGBTQ plus uh, uh, employee resource group here at Keybrick. Uh, uh, which we're hoping to launch in the next couple of months. Uh, for, for me, for Pride, it's an interesting one. I'm uh, much to the same point of Max as I, th I think compared to a lot of uh, my uh, friends and, and 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 members of the queer community. I think I've had a pretty pretty easier ride than some, and and so actually I th I find Pride is a great time for me to get back into the experiences of people uh, inside the LGBTQ plus communities. Uh, who didn't have and don't have as, as easy in a ride as I do and try and support and assist and educate and learn as much as possible. And it's a nice focal point in the year. I refuse to accept that it's the only to, the only point in the year. Yeah. Very much like uh, uh, Leo mentioned, there are 12 months. Uh, but, um, but June's a great example, g great space for us to sort of capitalize on the wave of, of communication 
and the wave of focus that comes around pride in the LGBTQ plus communities. Yeah. And for me, it allows me to sort of push my knowledge and push my boundaries and learn new things and hear about new experiences and hear about and people. Uh, but then also allows me to sort of uh, push that education to wider people and have these kind of conversations, you know, in the kitchen, in the office or walking down the street with my old friends from school or that kind of stuff. It's a nice sort of uh, uh, catalyst to to drive sort of queer communities and, and 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 that kind of space yeah that's that's brilliant and um i know you and i have personally had a lot of uh discussions around it as well so it's um it's important i love i love the generic the general theme that we're talking about that there are 12 months in a year and this is a space for it but it's not the only space and we're trying to create more um more space a continual space that doesn't have to be referred to as a particular month for it it's just all year round and it's a celebratory um and and should be an accepted uh, part of life so uh, on that note dana i'm coming straight over to you last but very much not least um our force to be reckoned with dana james edwards please um give an overview of who you are what you do and also what pride means to you so i am dana i am kubrick's head of diversity equity and inclusion i am also bisexual discovered very late in life for reasons that we'll probably get into on this podcast. How do I feel about Pride? I think everyone's probably thinking the head of DEI's gotta be super excited for Pride, right? It's a celebration. I have mixed feelings about Pride, if I'm honest. Um, I, I do feel the celebration because I make myself remember that there are things to be celebrated. But if I'm being completely honest with everyone, and I had to think about, Dana, are you going to be really honest on this podcast? And I've decided, yes, I am. Pride makes me angry sometimes. Uh, there's the celebration, but then there is this simmering undercurrent of rage. Mm. I feel enraged because people who don't care about pride, don't talk about pride, who treat people badly, slap a rainbow on things, and that's supposed to make things feel all better. Sometimes I feel like the celebration element of it is really played up in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable and that kind of overshadows things that are happening in the world that are happening around us and I think pride is important it is really really important but I also think the focus of pride should be the people who aren't allowed to be proud and there are so many people mm -hmm. I'm from Trinidad in the Caribbean it is still illegal to be gay there and I don't know there's there's been a lot happening in the news and in the media and and I feel like in this month I want to feel the outrage mm -hmm. alongside the celebration I want to feel the protest with the rainbows but I'm not always feeling it and it it makes me feel angry that's how mm. I feel about pride. And yes, I want to celebrate and I'm glad that people can celebrate the ones who can. But I also think that those outside of the community have to be reminded that there is more. Yeah. There, there is more to this than than rainbows. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, 
I like I said, I was I was writing down a, li- a whole list of questions, and quite frankly, what you've just said, thrown all of that out the window. I want to take it, <laughs> but I honestly, I don't want to ask any of the questions that I've written down. I want to really dive into because I think that was the mo that was just all of you have given such a real take it's not sugar butterflies let's be and call ourselves an ally slap a rainbow on our face put some glitter on and and walk down the streets and say we support it's about the issues really still prevalent to people who who cannot have the luxury of celebrating pride um so really get getting into i i think what connects to me the most whenever i listen to podcasts whenever i listen to anything is people's personal journeys and i don't want to put anything on any of you to to be forthright about your journey but i think making a generic stance on a particular topic maybe some people will connect to that but for me what always connects is the personal journey the anecdotes you know how how did you come to this realization how did you get that enraged what what are you personally connected to in this month and and in this community so i'm happy to just open up the floor and dana if you wanted to continue or leo or max anyone if you wanted to sort of give our give the listeners and, and people listening who who maybe don't feel like they have as much of a, a voice or can't really you know maybe it's a nice outlet for them to be able to connect to one of your personal stories so um, i'm happy to shut up and just let someone kick off and, and start talking about their personal journeys and what they wish um pride stood for and what we can do to move everything forward in the right way i don't mind going first go we'll go it. i got it i got it go for it um i think i sort of leaning on from what dana was saying there and i think that it's a really important line to take i think it's very easy for us especially people who for instance uh uh are aligned with their uh their gender at birth and for people who find it easier to sort of I say hide but you know there is an outward uh, evidence of them being part of the community it's very easy to to think about pride as a celebration and not as uh, as a sort of um I said a conflict do you know what I mean like and, and not driving for us to be better like in in the west especially especially in my lifetime but you know in the last couple of decades we've pushed and and we've sort of felt the effects of of generations of people in the LGBTQ communities fighting for rights and fighting for success and and I think we are, can quite easily take for granted the steps that we've made and think that we're at the end and actually we are you know many steps away from that end goal and we need to be using our voices and using our space to identify those people who you know are not only are in com- uh, countries that don't uh, that, that aren't um, pro LGBT plus and where being a member of this community is sometimes a death sentence, but also being parts of communities inside these countries, these uh, countries that do have acceptable rights mm-hmm. and being able to sit there and, you know, go that, oh, actually, I'm a, uh, you know, a big sports fan and I don't feel comfortable being, uh, being able to talk about my uh, sexuality or my or anything or, or I'm part of a religious community or I'm part of, you know, a, a, a different community that doesn't accept me for who I am the government might do and the laws might do but nobody else does do you know what I mean and actually it's really useful to have this kind of focus and this kind of point to drive that you know we can have legal change and we're we're there and we're getting there and all of that kind of stuff but that, I mean, there's still places to go for that one uh, but but it's actually the cultural change and I think I kind of agree with Dana actually that it's from a pride perspective 
you know, slapping rainbows on logos and uh, dancing down the street and all that kind of stuff is great and it has a step on that in, in that journey, but it's not the solution and it feels like a victory parade and it shouldn't be. It yeah. should be us, you know, driving the fact that our communities exist and that we shouldn't be quiet and we shouldn't be held down and we could shouldn't be sort of controlled, but actually trying to give a voice to those people who want to be dancing down the street and want to be, uh, you know, parts of communities that can slap rainbows onto things and be able to sort of, you know, express themselves if they are, but aren't. And I think that's the really important thing to me. Like I come from a very lucky background. I come from quite an affluent background in, in, in sort of the middle of the UK. Uh, you know, I, was relatively comfortable coming out my my one of my fam family members is gay and so just that, that conversation had already happened <laughs> if you see what i'm saying in my in my family but i know plenty of people who you know don't have that access and have come out and their family and their communities have been frosty have been ostracizing have been sort of pushing them away from that space and right. it's very easy to think that we've we, we've won and we've got we can marry and we can do all of that kind of stuff but actually there are so many more steps and i think it's really important that we have that kind of conversation Absolutely. I, I was going to, I, I was just, when you were talking, um, it sounded to me, I don't know if, if that's akin to what you were saying, but in terms of the the pride parade and marching down like it's a victory parade, would you almost prefer it to be more in line with, with a protest rather than a victory parade? I mean, we've got to remember where we started, right? It mm. was a protest. That's the whole thing, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that, that's why we're here, is that people saw that society wasn't accepting of who they are and they got up and they made a made a big racket about it until yeah. well i said it was until it's getting closer if you see what i'm <laughs> saying so so remembering that is really important yes but realizing that we're not just protesting against sort of structural society you know laws and politicians and all of that kind of stuff who might be holding us back but we're also protesting against cultures which is a very mm -hmm. different and difficult thing to sort of understand and it's also very difficult to target, you know what I mean? It's quite easy to go and stand outside number 10 or go and stand, you know, walk down Whitehall. But it's very difficult to have that kind of thought process. And that's mm -hmm. why being so vocal and being so in the media and being so in the space is important because it starts driving that change in, you know, families, living rooms and in community centres and in religious centres and all of that kind of stuff. Those kind of things can have that space. And I think that's that's where I think pride should be going. It's not a victory but we're just protesting against mm. the cultural restrictions as well as the legal restrictions. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I feel, I feel like I'm... Yeah, no, no, yeah. It, it, it does a lot. And actually both Max and Dana, um, you both touched on cultural elements, country um, elements of that. So do you want to speak to both of maybe your experiences? Um, and Dana, you mentioned you, you discovered uh, your sexuality later on in life. I am not putting you on the spot at all, but in case that resonates with certain listeners who are hoping to connect to a human story, I am giving you the floor to, to kind of talk to those cultural aspects as well. Okay, so I think the first thing you need to know about me is that I grew up very, very religious. <laughs> I was an altar server in church and a Sunday wow. school teacher and my uncle at one point was the bishop of trinidad and tobago and there was a lot going on religious wise in my family there was no space to be anything other than straight i mean it just was not an option and actually i i don't think i even really understood so i went to a catholic all-girls school and I'd be looking around and thinking, man, these are some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life, right? 
but I thought that everyone thought that. So like, you know, everyone's interested in the boys looking at the boys. Yeah, I'll look at the boys. Some of them are cute. But also, I thought everyone thought that their girlfriends were hot too, some of them, but that you just didn't act on it because that is not a thing that you do, right? So I just went through life assuming that that is how it was for every single person, right? Uh, I didn't realize that, no, some people are really only attracted to certain groups like I don't I, it just it just was so far from the realm of possibility right. that I I didn't even think about it I one of my best friends in the world was gay and he discovered that about himself really really early and when we were in secondary school, he invited a boy who he had a crush on home for a study date. Mm -hmm. And as part of that study date, he they had their first kiss. Unfortunately, his dad walked in. He couldn't go to school for a week. He was beaten that badly. And I think the message is, do what you're supposed to. Okay, like th there is no space to, to be other. Uh, th there was no space to be different. And I think when I was in Trinidad, I did have some kisses with the ladies. And um, every time I would go to church every day for like weeks after because of the guilt and the shame yeah. and everything that was kind of wrapped up in that and I think the first I went to an event an industry event this was after I had moved to the UK and there was I went for, to an event for pride I mostly went because there were free drinks if I'm being honest with you but yeah. then I got there and the people of the rainbow were telling their stories and this woman was talking about being bisexual and being attracted to people and to the different genders and the who of who people were. And for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, that is me. That's me. That's how I feel. Like, it doesn't matter to me if it's a man or woman. There's just something about people that attracts me. And there was someone else like, like me. I was discovering myself. I was learning myself. And so today I kind of feel like, well, Dana, you, you did all of this and you came to terms with yourself. And now you are incredibly straight passing. You married a man. You gave your family that big white wedding that they always wanted. And now you have two kids and nobody who's on the outside looking in can tell the who of who you are. You have to tell them, right? Mm -hmm. Because from the outside, you look very much like a hetero woman with the husband and, and the kids and all of that. And some of it is very masking. And it is incredibly comfortable mm. to just slide on by under the radar and to let people assume it's incredibly comfortable. And you could go through your whole life like that. And I guess I could have gone through my whole life like that after I was married, but then something changed. So the friend I was just telling you about who uh, was beaten by his dad for kissing a boy very, very badly. Yeah. Or we moved to the UK within months of each other. So he came first and then I came right after. And um, some years ago, 
he uh, died by suicide. Um, He died because, well, I think anyway, because he was unable to be his true self. Um, So (laughs) we made up a term called London gay. (laughs) London gay meant he was only gay in London. When we went home to Trinidad, I would be there going over to his parents and we'd be talking about his non-existent girlfriend in London (laughs) and, you know, keeping up the charade. And then he met someone, someone amazing. They moved in together. They had a life. But every time his family was coming over from Trinidad, he had to pretend like that wasn't a thing that was happening even though they were very much in love and then obviously his partner couldn't continue to live like that for an extended period wanted to be free and open about who he was and so uh they broke up and i think he just felt that there wasn't a life anymore um for him that he would never really be able to be gay because he was the first son of a first son and a Muslim and there was a lot going on there and he just couldn't do it anymore so I got a wonderful phone call from him the day before just saying hi just checking in and the next thing you know the hospital is ringing me because I'm his next of kin um and I I think I decided (laughs) that I needed to be louder and I needed to show up more and as straight passing as I am that I needed to add my voice to my community for all the people Rocky I'm sorry oh my god this is this is choking me up as I don't know if I'm gonna be able to so sorry don't take your time this is such a this is such an emotional moment for you. Take your time. Thank you, Dana, for sharing that because that was really powerful, and I think that just shows a lot of heart and the heart that the community has. So, Liu, I don't know if you wanted to to yeah. go next. That would be really helpful. I can, and I have to say, I'm a little bit choked up as well. And I think this is really, you know, this points to how big that conversation needs to be and how small it often is in reality because people live whole lives and people don't realize how difficult that can be and even though you know the rest of your life might be like everyone else's the fact that it isn't you know in 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 many ways it's not makes the rest of the life also more complicated more yeah. difficult more volatile in a way people just have no idea about yeah so i guess from my own story um i kind of always knew i wasn't a girl even though that was what i was supposed to be there was also a slightly convoluted situation in that my dad was meant to be the heir of a family farm and I'm the first child that was born right and at that time he wasn't going to get the farm because there was like family drama and stuff 
So he was basically raising me when I was very small, while he was a student and my mom was working full time. So he was kind of retraining later in life to do mm -hmm. something that wasn't farming. So I think I was raised by a man to be a male heir to a family farm that no longer existed. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, think, uh, I think he just raised me as a mini miniature version of himself. Yeah. And then at some point, my he was he finished studying and my mom uh, stayed home because by that time my brother my little brother was born and my dad was then the. the full-time breadwinner yeah. and I just got so confused like it was it, like it all made no sense to me I felt like you know I had found a place that was my place and none of the definitions that were on offer made any sense you know I had the yeah. first sort of gender conversation about that in a Catholic kindergarten in rural southern Germany. You can imagine how well that went. Not very. Um, <laughs> and then I was just kind of um, more or less trying to pass. I guess I was always a bit of a tomboy, but it was also the countryside, so I was outside. I once had a part-time job um, over summer working on a construction site, which I really loved. Like I just, just got along really well with that. That made a lot of sense for me. I also worked in a jewelry shop at some point. So, you know, like there's definitely yeah. range. Um, I think for me, I discovered also again, fairly late in life. I think I just tried to ignore it, hoping it would sort itself out and I didn't have to deal with it. And then I had an existential crisis when I went to the theater in New York, not because of the theater, wow. but because of their user satisfaction survey, because the gender options had like a menu of 10 different items. Oh, I see. Most of which I had no idea what they were. Oh. So I spent a very confusing night Googling what all of that was and um, kind of, you know, mentally and emotionally trying them on for size. and. Um, non-binary just immediately made sense it's really just i think it is a place that's not one of the other two places and it's a place in its own right so yeah. i don't identify as trans because for me trans means you start somewhere or you were put somewhere but you actually wanted to be somewhere else mm -hmm. or need, need to be somewhere else and for me i felt like i started in my place and I've, i'm still in that place i've got like fancier terminology as i got older but um that's kind of that's that's where it is and it's been it's been really difficult um because a lot of people don't take it seriously mm. they think you know like the the amount of times i get asked have you decided yet or i'm like decided what wow <laughs> also, that's I haven't a brilliant decided, question also i haven't decided in like 40 years since i had that first conversation <laughs> so i think it's unlikely i'm that bad at decision making really oh um, my goodness but also like work-wise, so I had one, and that's, I guess, my link to the whole life point. You know, like I'm a professional, I, I have a career and so on. Um, and most of what I do and how I show up has, has nothing to do with, you know, how I identify and so on. Like, by the way, it is for most people. Like, it's not, you know, people make <laughs> yeah. it a big thing, but it's really not. It's just when it goes wrong, it's a really big thing. And I think that's where also organizations and people and so on don't really think that through. So I had one situation where I got bullied out of a job, which essentially sort of destroyed, at least at that point in time, destroyed my career and I needed to rebuild everything. It was financially also a medium-sized disaster then obviously as a result. And, um, and that took a long time to rebuild. Mm. And that's 
people don't realize the effect that has. So, you know, like you wouldn't probably wouldn't be able to pinpoint on my LinkedIn profile when and where that happened. And that's very intentional because, yeah, nobody needs to know that. Yeah. But, you know, this means people expect I have a certain life and I don't, you know, just to like, I'll, I'll just be super honest. Like at one point I was curious how big the financial damage was and I tried to tally it up in terms of loss of lifetime earnings which is really difficult but I tried to you know just get a ballpark estimate with pension savings interest rates and yep. you know all sorts of things it's probably about a quarter million pounds that's a house that's a house I will never own that's money I will never get back yeah you know like and you know the person who was the main bully the week when I was so desperate that I had night jobs working as a waitress at events and so on. The mm. week I was stealing bread out of a bin bag, she bought a second house in Italy. That that angers me. And a you lot. have to, you know, I have to live with that. I wake up every morning, I look around me, I look at what what the materiality of my life is like. And you know, mm. yes, I was able to rebuild my career. Yes, I'm able to, you know, sit on panels, go to conferences and, and do fancy things. Um, and I obviously still got all my professional credentials, you know, none of that has gone away, but my life is very different in ways that I, you know, that I'm not going to be able to get back ever. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that, of, of course, the scars of that wound stay with you for a very long time. And I think that's really also what people don't recognize is that through every insult, through every slur, through every time someone gets taken down in that in that way i mean in your way it was it was astro you know astronomical at the time for you've obviously rebuilt and um are very well respected uh within your field as well but it, it took time to get to that point but the scars of that wound clearly have still you know stayed after the fact um but but i do want to come back to some of the talks and the conferences and how vocal uh you are in in this community as well and how you've actually taken an experience that could have really damaged you and wanted to push you back into the shadows and actually it's made you come out even more even louder even stronger um and and i think maybe some words of encouragement to people who are going through something maybe not on same scale but who who could use some words of encouragement to not slink back into the shadows and just actually use that as a power to to take that forward yeah and i think for me i was debating you know the first time i came out at work i did it sort of you know quietly one colleague conversation at mm -hmm. a time and so on because that felt like the safer option right and and then obviously when it went off the rails in in that one organization with with that group of people i had no allies nobody knew what to do nobody knew who i was you know and so on so i i did go back into the closet for another couple of years as i was sort of getting getting my life back uh, sorted out and then it, i decided okay maybe the second time it needs to be so loud that nobody you know that it will be stupidly expensive for organizations to yep. do something bad about it um Love so it. i the second coming out was by running two sessions at two global conferences mm -hmm. which is a really stressful way of doing it because not only are you running sessions at a global conference which would be enough adrenaline for most people you're also coming out while you're doing that um 
it worked though so the resonance was really good um lots of lots of surprised people but positively surprised and um it started lots of conversations and i do feel it made my situation safer right um, right it's i think it's a bit of a trade-off because essentially i had a, a long chat with a well it was more of a rant really with a friend of mine <laughs> yesterday um <laughs> Because essentially, it's like you're trading scar tissue for safety. And I'm aware mm -hmm. I'm saying that on a podcast that's being mm -hmm. recorded and will be broadcast. So I'm literally doing it right now. Mm -hmm. But that's what a lot of that storytelling is. And I'm obviously comfortable doing it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here. But I think that's also a point for organizations who go into the storytelling space. Mm -hmm. that That's what they're asking people to do. And I think most of us probably know intuitively that that's what we're doing and that we're going to get into territory that's emotional and deep. But I think half the people who are putting these podcasts, panels and, you know, all the things that are happening this month together have no idea. Basically, they don't have the boots for the hike, but they're going anyways. So I think it's also about care for the people who are doing that and also yeah. the respect for the enormous amount of work that takes yeah absolutely we're doing that so absolutely. full disclosure Lior and i are friends and i just want to say that in addition to you coming out in the conferences she also tweeted <laughs> like it was a very one of the boldest tweets I've seen in a long time. Oh um, my goodness. When, when we first met, uh, she went by Christine. And one day I woke up and on Twitter, there was a tweet saying, my name is now Leo. My pronouns are now she, they, and I'm non-binary. And it just like, there was no, it, it was just, wow out there like whoa and i was like surprised but also like Dabble, look yeah. At you. just yeah. like the bravery of it i was blown away by that that's amazing i think bold is definitely a word that we can <laughs> we can use for you Leo. like that's just bold out there just like ready to take like you literally are like a lion you're just ready to take on anything i just see that in you and that's that's amazing um how long because i actually didn't know that you two were friends so this is great how long have you guys been friends for keeping this side of the room completely like oh I, nice to meet lulu or you guys have known each other for a while right well the <laughs> lnd community years, it's been some years leo yeah. it's been a while yeah amazing yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Well, we're going to come back to actually, um, I think what I'd like to dive into a lot, because you've talked Leo, about the, the power, both negative and positive, that organizations have on Rocky, a person. Can I just community. stop you one second? Of course. Max didn't get to tell his story. Of course. So after, no, after we go, nope, 100%. That's what I want to dive back into in the organizational side of things. But I am going to flip it to Max, first of all. And like I said, we've got this is a personal journey so you do not we've had very very like a wide range of stories so this is not like that you're the last one that's put all the pressure on you we just want to hear your experience so just just go for it and tell us your experience well no hopefully i mean my experience is not uh anything too traumatic so hopefully it will be uh, nice and light um which you know i can say from a place of huge privilege i think just to touch on what lior and, and dana said about um how how difficult it is to like can kind of keep 
yourself contained. I don't think people that are outside the community realize just like how uh, how emotionally taxing it is to keep that part of you hidden because it's not just it's or not even a part of it is to keep you hidden because it's not just like oh I, I guess I just won't mention that I'm going on a date with a boy instead of a girl or something like there's so much more that goes into it that like keeping it hidden is just so taxing and, and people don't realize this and I feel like that's just so important to know because yeah like be, if you keep it hidden horrible things can happen you can do horrible things and I think that's like bold is definitely the way to put it like I think if you're if you if you're not bold people aren't going to be bold for you and it's like you're putting yourself out there you're making yourself vulnerable but if you if you don't do it who will and I think recently, like as I said, I'm a finance bro. I'm, I work in a in a in a bank, and everybody there is like all serious. They've got their suits. They're like business, business, business. So when I joined in like October, I was like, oh well, I I don't want to like come out. I don't know like what's gonna happen. Um, and my coworkers were all like sound. I like I like them all, but I was still like I don't I don't I don't know. Like I came out at 18, and since then I've been loud about it. As I don't care what you think. Mm. Um, but when I but when I was put in this like you know big big boy position, I was like oh, I don't know what to do. Um, and like a, a couple of months ago, I was like you know what? I just can't be bothered. Like what's the point? Like if they hate me, they hate me. Like who ma- what what matters? And I can say that because you know it, it's I, I'm in the place of safety. If I say that, I'm not going to to get attacked at the bank or anything. Like mm-hmm. everything will be fine. And so I think. Also, touching back to the point of, of, of like what does pride mean to you? Like, it's it's you got to bear that in mind. Whereas I can happily be like, yeah, I'm I'm gay. So what if you don't like it? Don't like it. But obviously, you can't do that everywhere. It's very 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 personal. And so I think that kind of touches back yeah. on the like what does pride mean to you? And we have to bear that in mind. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. So Max, did you feel like you were able to be loud even in Poland when you were growing up there? So uh, I moved out of Poland when I was nine, and I didn't oh. realize I was I was gay till much later. Okay. So um, I guess in summary, like yeah, I I moved to England, and then I I didn't realize for like absolute ages. It was till I was like fourteen or like fifteen, um, and suddenly I was just like, oh wait, what? <laughs> like hold on, this doesn't make sense. And then well, like when I did realize, I was still like, because I was obviously brought up in Poland and like both my parents were Christian. So it was like very much like deep down. So even after I realized, I was like, oh, no, well, I'm still going to get married to a woman and it'll be fine. Like it, whatever. Um, and then it wasn't until like much later. That I was like, oh, yeah, like, OK, never mind. Like, I do not like women at all. Sorry. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> um, and it was, yeah. And I think... Kind of like keeping it keeping it down for so long till I was eighteen, uh, which also isn't I guess that long of a time. But I'm only twenty four, so to me it's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping it down has kind of meant that I don't really care for for like the way people would label me. So I say like you know I'm a I'm a gay man. I say that about myself. I say I'm a man, but deep down I I don't really care for it. I say I use he him pronouns, but I don't I I don't care for them i i think i'm very much like i'm gonna wear what i want whenever i want i'm gonna say like you know i i like i think it was it's kind of funny because at one point 
um, so I have a brother who's like 11 and when he was a bit younger my dad was saying some stuff um, to him that was like a little homophobic and whatever and so I would just start being like oh but dad you know I'm a girl right and he'd be like what and I'd be like I'm a girl like <laughs> just like it's just I am and, and like that would like throw him off um, and I think because of that because I'm very argumentative and I would use that as like a tool to be like if you say horrible things about like trans people or non-binary people I could be one of those like you don't know that um, and so because of that, I think I don't really care about labels that much. I love the bold nature of everyone coming on this call and just being free to be who they are, but having a lot of respect and acknowledgement of the people who cannot be as bold as that. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that's a, a good sort of segue, actually, just to talk about... Um, of course, this is a work-driven podcast because we're we're you know three three of well one two three four of us work at Kubrick. So um, I wanted to uh, just actually dive into more of the um, organizational aspects. I mean, for for example, for this month, uh, Dana, Joe, you you know this as well as anyone. Um, we're running an internal allyship workshop. Uh, we're marching. Uh, are we allowed to say that, Dana? You're totally allowed to say that. <laughs> Drum roll. We are actually we are actually marching in Pride this year, um, which is the first of July. We uh, have a series of internal webinars um, relating to Pride. We're we're doing our best to be as loud as we can, but of course there is there is so much room for improvement, movement, um, and suggestion, open forums. So I wanted to know, maybe starting actually with Lior, because you are speaking on panels, you you are very vocal about how organizational changes can really affect uh, employees in a, both a positive and negative space. What do you think organizations can do uh, to become more supportive, nurturing, accepting, loud vocal i know that's a big range of words but um any anything that you could kind of share in terms of uh, experience would be great i think it really starts with listening and i think that's true for for all topics in the inclusion space really mm. don't don't think about a topic for the people think about that with them and think it through with them and listen to what they're telling you because they probably know mm -hmm. where the where the hitches are um think it through from a whole life perspective so not just you know kind of the the more obvious who will the person invite to the company christmas party as their second person and how do you phrase that that's important but think you know think through the whole life uh, picture realize that people will be a lot more possibly be a lot more vulnerable and their situation might be a lot more precarious mm -hmm. which by the way is also true for anything around social mobility and so on mm -hmm. so it's probably good to think that through anyways as an mm. organization you know people might literally not have enough credit card limit to book a business a, a business trip mm. like you know think think through um those things um and then really use use your weight as an organization i think you need to earn the right to be in that space so if you're doing something externally facing don't just do it because it's pride month and everyone else is doing it and you have a graphic designer who has a spare half an hour to slap rainbows on everything like mm -hmm. don't do that um, silence is an option if you have nothing to say and um, yeah so earn the right to do stuff but also use use your weight in the market and in the industry so if you have a pension provider and you don't like what they're offering and how they're handling name changes, talk to them. Say, hey, mm. we've got 500, 500 5,000, 50,000 people. 
do something for us. Yeah. You know, and I think companies forget that procurement policy. Who, who are you buying goods and services from? Mm-hmm. Are you, you know, which which state in the US are you running your major client conference in? Because that will make a difference to some mm-hmm. people um, these days, not to get too political. But I think mm-hmm. we all kind of know, yeah, whether, we know. you know, mm-hmm. like let's, you know, you know, and I think companies and, and that's where it matters, you know, people understand money and decisions a lot quicker than they understand social changes. And that's a good way to just put a few pins in. You can then, you know, tie stuff to. Mm-hmm. And I think organizations don't use that enough. And yes, a procurement policy is maybe not the sexiest thing, but that's the bit that's going to move things. Even when we're talking to clients that we're working with from a you know team perspective and having that, those open conversations, because you know, we have consultants who are like Max on the ground at our clients. So um, having a discussion around what their internal policies are and having those bigger, wider conversations probably will move the needle more. Actually, that's that's brilliant. That's that's really, really useful. Um, also, I, um, not not to make assumptions. So, yes. you know, like I, I've had global roles and, you know, worked on, on global projects for most of the past 15 years or so. I have at some point looked after learning and development in Saudi Arabia for one organization. And, you know, they knew I were out, not so much the people in Saudi Arabia. We didn't make it a big thing, but I was, you know, like 10 seconds of Google would have would have clarified whatever sure. questions people would have had. Um, and I was OK with that, but that needs a conversation. So don't assume the person's not going to do it, but also don't assume it wouldn't need to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think HR and, and parts of the organization need to do the full leg work with the terms and conditions, you know, with things like, would I have insurance coverage if I, you know, if anything goes seriously wrong, mm-hmm. who's going to make the phone call and who's going to get me back out? That, you know, you need to have proper adult conversations and organizations need to be prepared to have them. I think that you're doing such a great amount of work to be so vocal about the ways in which you can do it. And I'm hoping that organizations do take those tangible pieces of advice. It's not airy-fairy. These are tangible things that people can action. So I'm hoping, uh, Dana, from a Kubrick perspective, you could maybe discuss some of the things that we're doing as a company to, to you know, at least move towards that. So I guess my starting point is that Kubrick is by no means the finished article. Mm -hmm. So when I walk into an organization, any organization, I look around me and I think, well, how comfortable would I be to be open here? And I think when I first arrived, I was unsure. And for Mm -hmm. me, that is a problem. Um, but it is something that, that we can work on, but we need to work on it in more than June. And I think we've been very good and intentional about that. Mm-hmm. We are creating LGBTQ brick um, plus for our LGBTQ uh, plus employees. I think it's really important to have that protected space, but also to resource a network group. I would love us to keep our pride flags up all year round, even when we move to the new office, because it is such a very visual signal of who is welcome here. I'm also enjoying seeing the pride lanyards on people just be just because it it is a message. It's it's subtle, but there is a message there. And when someone is new in an organization and they're looking for clues, Mm. something as small as a pin or a lanyard could be 
that clue. Yeah. I also think it's important for me, the way that we talk about this month and the work that we do externally. Uh, I feel like across the month, there are lots of organizations who are like, hey, look at us, we're amazing. Um, And less, hey, here's where we are. And this is some stuff that we need to do. So making sure that we get that balance right. I also think Yes, of course, education is important, and we've put a great lens on that during the month. But when we say supporting the LGBT community, show me the money, like actual support. Uh, So uh, we're doing some of that as well. We had a charity bake sale, but there's also a project underway to see how we can use our data and technology skills to help LGBTQ plus organizations, which I feel is really important because if we're saying we support, we really should be supporting all the way. Absolutely. We have not rainbow fine our logo for social media, I think. We're not at that point yet. You know, Leo started to say that you have to earn your right to be in this space. Mm. I don't 100% feel like we have earned it yet, but I do feel like we are well on the way and that change is coming and that it's important. For me, a big concern is that we have a consultant hire train deploy model. And while I do feel great that people would be safe and protected at home at Kubrick. I worry a lot about what happens to consultants when we send them out into the world and how we're supporting them outside of Kubrick. That will always really be important to me. And do Mm -hmm. they know that they can come home if things aren't right and that there are things we can do here at home to support them? I'm not sure that that message is 100% getting across and we need to make that more vocal and more vibrant. But also, this is one thread like we've been saying throughout, there are 12 months of the year. I have already, Joe will tell you this, I started off Diversity Champions by saying, sure, let's talk about Pride Month, but at the end of this planning meeting, I also want three other activities that are going to take place at other points during the year that is not June. So I set them a very big challenge from the very start of the planning to say, hey, this is not just a month we're not just talking about june we're talking about Mm -hmm. the rest of the year finally i think it's important to really note that kubrick has offices in the us and things in the us are a bit different from the way that things are in the uk and our staff who are there have to know that we support them have to know where we stand and Mm. if we are saying that we support lgbtq plus people and lgbtq plus rights Is that message being heard by the market? Is it being heard by our team? How are we getting those points across? Do people know that they are cared for safe and protected? Do they know that? Until they do, we've got work to do. And not just June work, year-round work year-round work well I actually wanted to to maybe ask Max from his opinion then uh, being yeah. a consultant on clients like not to put you on the spot completely um but just to to ask you um you're obviously like it, 
it's so inspiring listening to you and the the kind of gumption that you take of I am who I am this is what it is I've been very successful to get into a, a you know a bank and a financial institution utilizing my skills and what I'm good at do you feel that, and you can be very honest because Jane is going to use this as obviously ways in which we can improve. But have you had any of that clear cut communication on how we do support or has that come sort of later on? What's your experience been? I think there has been like a change, actually. I can see, like, as you say, more people wearing lanyards, more decorations. And I don't think it's just because of pride. I think it's like happening earlier. But I think, yeah, I, I think at the beginning, I, I wouldn't, as, as, as Dana said, I wouldn't be sure whether I can be like, hey, guys. I'm I am what I am but now definitely m much more so and especially with like uh, I think um Dana being very vocal about all the events we got going on it's definitely been like well if you don't see it now I feel like that's your own fault but now I think it definitely is getting much more open and I think especially with like Kubrick being able to go on the pride march I think that's that's you know we are talking about the little things but also the big things do count as well being able to go to a pride march is a huge success and so I think that just that exemplifies that yes we are happy to you know to support lgbtq plus yeah brilliant brilliant and i guess joe i wanted to ask you you've been here for like you said almost four years um and you're a very vocal part of diversity champions you're a very close friend of mine and i know that you're um you you've got your own personal journey but you're really really you've always been really keen on pushing the needle and trying to help as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to, yeah, I really wanted to ask you from your perspective, what do you think are the key takeaways and what more can be done from your perspective? I, I'm just curious, having been here for, for four years, how, how you feel about that? Yes, good question. Um, I, just to answer Max's question as well, uh, the before was about I'm going to say four months ago, which was when Dana joined us. Uh, so any time before that was the before. Pre-Dana, post-Dana. Pre-Dana, post-Dana are the timelines. At least that's how I work from it. Uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I've been, as I said, Kubrick for four years and have seen the business go from a sort of tiny little business that was max from your thing only in that office in, in 96, all the way to the, you know, thousand plus business that we are now and have seen the growth pains which any business experiences. And one of those I think is that is, is not having that direct drive for action. You know, we've all got a million and one things. I complain about my job, uh, well, not my job, but the amount of work I do with my job uh, uh, constantly as Dana and Rocky, you both know. Uh, and so, uh, but just, it, it's a very exciting time and there's lots and lots of things to do. And it's very easy for us to lose sort of DEI and LGBTQ plus communities from the agenda. And it's, and it sort of comes back to what I said earlier. It's like, there is, it's easy to think that we've won and it's very easy to think that the law says that it's all good, which means it's all good and forget that actually there's so much more. I, that was, it was quite an interesting one. Uh, Max, you were talking about your, your sort of journey and your timeline. And I think I've known of, of the time I've known I'm gay. I'm 27 now, 28, lost track. Uh, but however old I am, uh, I have, I, in the time I've known I'm gay, I've been in the closet longer than not. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. I sort of came out when I was about 21, 20, 21, 22 time. And it's quite easy to forget that actually, you know, even coming from a very uh, supportive background and a supportive family and all of that kind of stuff, I still didn't feel confident enough to be able to do that. Mm. I remember when I came out of work, that was fun uh no it was it <laughs> worth that value that it was fun it was quite interesting i had never had to do that before you know i had never have gone through that that journey mm -hmm. and kubrick was incredibly supportive 
and and it was but it very much Lior, to your point you know it was a have a conversation with one employee then have a conversation with another employee and it wasn't the bold statement it was the i'm gonna just dip my toe in here and dip my toe in there and and it's quite easy it's again quite easy to think that you know because we're not overtly anti sort of lgbtq plus therefore we're fine and that's not what needs to be the case we need to be building that place where you know much to dana to your point like there is the little signs that go oh actually this is a place i can be myself in uh i know i've been chasing you to get a pride lanyard from i think since day one when you joined and you gave me one a couple of weeks ago which is very exciting um and 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 we do you know we do do bits we had the pride flags up in the 96 office for the whole year post uh pride month last year but it's great it'd be great to have that further and it'd be great to have those little things across the business that can you sort of facilitate that culture and and to, you know there are little things and there are the big things and it's important to do both and it's important to be having somebody like dana and having somebody like an our ihr team and, and the dei team driving that directly because it's very easy for us to go oh well i need to do this and therefore i don't have time to do the things i really want to do and having that direct support you know putting put the money where the mouth is kind of thing uh for for projects etc but also putting the money where the mouth is to have dedicated people inside the business who is whose only job is to make us better mm-hmm. and then drive us to be a better business and drive us to be more inclusive and drive us to be more diverse yeah. is really really valuable and really important yeah and so linking back the before was before dana joined yeah now is after that was great sorry max you were going to jump sorry, in yeah i was re- really quickly just wanted to add and i think us and um in the i, I really like the alphabet soup i don't know why but like us <laughs> in the alphabet mafia as well i think because <laughs> of you know how sensitive everything is i think we're very good at picking up on subtle clues or like subtle signs so i think once you get to a point where you know like if you if you go to a new place, you will be looking out for a lot of these thing, things, and like if there there are like they will be noticed as 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 everybody was saying, like you know there's a little pin or something like we will notice. It's not just going to be like oh we don't know like or yeah. just the way people talk. Like I think it's very easy for us to notice when a friend a, a place is friendly. Yeah, I think that's actually a professional superpower in a way, because a lot of the work I do is around organizational change and so on. And I think I'm almost hyper vigilant about these things. I think my radar is a lot better developed than maybe that of some other people who don't feel like they need to scan their environments for clues and dynamics and, and things like that. So it actually helps my work. It genuinely mm-hmm. does. And I think a lot of people who are, you know, either member of the alphabet mafia, that's even better, that's by the so way, funny. Um, or who are, you know, minority groups in, in, in any in any other way are probably really, really good at doing that. And that's mm-hmm. super useful. So I think organizations really need to need to use that as the superpower it actually is. And if someone has a better attuned radar, you know, like if someone can hear frequencies you can't hear and they tell you there's like a noise happening, you probably want to listen. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, I know that we're we're sort of coming towards the the end and I've massively overran because I give I've been given an hours an hours session and it's already like 20 minutes past. So I actually have a pretty direct question for Lior as well. Maybe this is slightly a a bit of a left field question, but I'm really interested because you're 
you're so public, you're so out there. How do you feel? Um, do you feel that people use you as sort of a single source of knowledge? Do you get an influx of questions from businesses, from people? Do you do you welcome that? Do you find it like I do do other things? You know, I'm not just just you know here to to answer everyone's questions on it. Actually, genuinely, what do you feel about being so out there and and vocal, needing to answer or having to answer that? I think it depends who's asking and with what intention. Mm -hmm. And, well, there is a volume question as yes. well at some point. <laughs> yeah. But generally, if somebody... If, and, you know, no matter how clumsy the question is, I've had conversations where the initial question was so... Because the person was completely running out of words for things. So, you know, it didn't even hold up from a grammatical point of view anymore. But it was just so heartfelt and the person really wanted to know. And then, of course, I'm helping. Generally, I mean, you know, Google does exist. So people can <laughs> yeah. apply that liberally or, you know, any other search engines, obviously. But... Um, I'm happy to share what I can. Um, I think role models help. And I wish there were more non-binary people out in business. Um, mm -hmm. So sometimes I do feel like I'm literally the only one in the mm -hmm. village. And sometimes I actually am. So, <laughs> um, so I think, you know, it, it does help to see and hear from more people. And I do need to remind people that I have a day job that's not actually like doing inclusion, but I yeah. have a day job that's something completely different. It does, you know, obviously I work in learning and development and so on. So so there there is a component to that, but that's not my main gig. Yeah. So occasionally I do need to remind people of that. Um, yeah as well leo and, you, you know, have when, a day I... job and a gay job yeah, yeah. <laughs> i do i do i very much do i love and, you it know, some, sometimes you need to remind people that you know if i'm running a project i'm running a project i'm not running a non-binary project or yeah. you know yeah. whatever it goes on in people's heads like it's not you know it is a big deal but it's also not you know i still have like four degrees and all the other things which is mm -hmm. probably on it on a day-to-day -day what matters a whole lot more yeah so you know sorry that was that was genuinely just a really i was just genuinely really curious because i looked at your linkedin obviously i was doing my research <laughs> i was like god she must get inundated with just tons of tons of questions from people so that that's actually really useful i wanted just to end with maybe asking you what you would hope a listener would take away from this podcast either from something that you've said from something someone else has said or from the general uh direction of the conversation what you hope listeners can take or resonate with or anything of the above I think I would say that you have to, I kind of kind of links back to, you know, um, asking one person instead of going on Google or something, is that you have to ask multiple people, because as we found out during this podcast, I mean, if you speak to me, my experience is hugely different than, than Dana's or Lior's. So I think the takeaway is that you obviously ask people and be curious about um, whatever it is you want to be, but bear in mind that the person you're asking might not be the best person to ask and you should definitely try to yeah. diversify your your whoever you're asking or your research or or your google search whatever it is <laughs> building on that from my end meet people on their terms not on yours so it's not about what you think good grammar looks like or what a valid pronoun is or you know what you think uh, life should look like or an arrangement between consenting adults or you know whatever it's really what's valid for that person 
and be curious and see what life looks like from where they're standing. You might mm. learn something. Yeah, I love that. Joe, Dana. Okay, okay. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> uh, I think the thing I, yeah, f from all of the conversations from, from the, and, and, and views from, from I think, uh, this group, I, I think the takeaway I would push is that when we're talking about pride and we're talking about the LGBTQ plus community, it's not the final step. Uh, and it, it, we are, we've done one lap of a very long race. <laughs> and so making sure that we are celebrating the lap that we have done, but also focusing on the laps to come, I think is very important and driving that space and remembering that it's very easy for some members of the LGBTQ communities to think that we are done and finished, but other members of the communities have only just started their journeys and only just started their fights. And actually that those of us who maybe are slightly further ahead in those conversations, legally, culturally, our job now is to make sure we're supporting our colleagues and our friends and communities that aren't anywhere near for as far in their, in their own journeys and their own races. Love that. For people who are listening, I would say if you were listening to this podcast and suddenly some pieces of something fell into place for you for the first time, I guess my message is that it's never too late to discover who you are and to find out more about it and that you're welcome to reach out to any of us on the podcast if something that we said resonated and you want to find out more and learn more. So those are the people that I'm thinking about especially. Uh, but for everyone else, we are not free until we're all free. And we are not all free. So the work continues. That's powerful to, powerful to end on. And I want to say this has been the most emotional, important, wonderful conversation um, that I have had in, in my time of doing this podcast in, in just in terms of the amount of sheer personal anecdotes and experiences that you all have, you know, dove into. It's really amazing um, that you've all been so forthcoming about it. And it's not the easiest thing to do. I know, you know, you guys are all bold, brave, all of it, but it's never easy to, to give personal pieces of your life um, open for public consumption. I want to thank you all um, for being here. And um, just to reiterate, uh, we will be uh, marching on Pride. So uh, you will see a number of photos, I'm sure, with Miss Dana leading the helm. Um, but yes, we're, we're very excited to keep continuing the work that we're doing uh, from step one to step hundred thousand million, however many it takes. Thanks everyone for listening and thank uh, everyone on the panel for being on today. I've had a, a really wonderful time. Hearts up, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>